we're going to take a little trip back in time to when you were in school. This was probably more of an elementary or middle school project, but perhaps it spilled into high school or even college. It was the old interview a family member and write a report or at least answer a few questions about them. Of course, when you're a kid, you don't always know how to get to the root of a good story. Have you ever listened to a child try to tell you about something that happened? There are more meandering detours in the Grand Canyon and the payoff usually far more disappointing. As an adult, though, I enjoy learning about family lineages and histories, and I think that's a super fun activity that everyone should do at some point, although chances are you won't uncover something like my guest. Pepper Ann is a true crime writer and the author of The Notorious Texas Swindler, which is about Bob Leach, a cattle rustler, turned con man, and the mastermind behind the Grayson County Five, a group of fugitives who escaped from the Grayson County Jail in Sherman, Texas. Concurrently, Bob was also rustling cattle from unsuspecting ranchers and hosting a party ranch with his then-wife. Bob is Pepper Ann's cousin. She spent over a decade working on this story, piecing together interviews and insights from family members, victims, law enforcement officials, private investigators, and more. And she's dealt with some unique threats along the way. We're talking all about how she discovered her cousin's history, what it's been like writing this story, and how she kept track of all the madness, because there is a lot of chaos to unpack here. I'm Joey Held, this is Good People Cool Things, and here's my conversation with Pepper Ann. To kick it off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Absolutely. So my name is Pepper Ann. (laughs) My elevator pitch is that I am telling you a story that is amazingly true. And most people, when they read my book, they have to reread certain sections of it because they're not sure if what they read is really what they read. And in order to comprehend it, they they have to go through it several times because I'm exposing a lot of dangerous people. And the kind of elevator we're on, we're on one that's not going to stop. It's going fast. It's going from floor 100 down to one. And you're lucky if if it stops. It's it's going so fast. (laughs) It's the story of my life the past 12 years, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I have to ask because... I I have only ever heard the name Pepper Ann one other time in life, and it was on the Disney cartoon Pepper Ann that came out in the like late nineties. I want to say I. So, are you a fan of the show Pepper Ann? I am a big fan of the okay. show Pepper Ann, Lovely. but it is a pen name what I'm going by, and I just loved it. I thought, you know what, I'm going to use it. I know a lot of people are going to know the show pepper Ann, and some aren't <laughs> i'm okay with that but yeah okay i'm lovely, a fan of the lovely. show yeah <laughs> i would have been so distressed if you said no i, <sighs> I still th- sing that theme song just like periodically throughout <laughs> life and it's wonderful times now i do want to dive into the book but i always like to ask this do you remember the first thing you ever wrote the first thing that i ever wrote yeah, I do. Back in the first thing I ever wrote that actually made a difference um, to me was a letter that I wrote back in the mid 90s. I was probably 94, 93. It was when Governor Ann Richards was in office and she was running for office again. And I wrote her a letter and I asked her to tell me why I should vote for her. And I also wrote one to George W. 
And Anne was the only one that responded. And I voted for her. Nice. <laughs> so that that was the that that's the one thing I've written that to me it made a difference. Because voting is is important no matter what side you you know, whatever your your choices, whatever party you're for, it's huge. And so it, it impacted me. It it made me see just how important it is to vote. You you have to. Awesome. And I, I think a good lesson there too, that writing to people, like it's kind of cool to get a letter. I, I would love to get more letters from people that are not like those, not even carefully uh, subtle ones where it's like, hey, I want to buy your house, but it's like, it looks like it's in handwriting and it's clearly just like a mass printed letter that's like, you want to sell your house? And I'm like, no, thank you. I'm okay. <laughs> but I appreciate the thought, I guess. <laughs> But to get a response, like you said, to get a response, yeah. it's to, it, you know, your, your words had touched someone to know that it did and it, and it crossed their desk. That that's huge. Yeah, yeah. That's huge. Also huge. You published your first book, the notorious Texas swindler. You said this has been 12 years in the making. So we're going to dive into all of that, but how did you learn about this? Because you, it, it's, it is such a unique story both in its own and then also in your relationship with the people in it. So how did you first learn about all of this? Okay, well, I first learned about it back in 2006. My grandpa passed away. My grandpa Riley, I say his name because he's in the second chapter. I talk a little bit about him. Um, Yeah, so, so when he passed away, I learned about Bob. He's the one the story is about. And I read online a little bit about him and it just told about his second jailbreak and that story actually made national news and then I contacted Bob we're cousins because our grandpas were brothers and um so I told him I said hey you know um, I'm your cousin I want to write the story I need to I need to get some information from you and then from there it just it just took off um but the thing is I wasn't just writing about his jail escape that I read about. I researched so much stuff that I uncovered a lot of dangerous people. And once I did that, I started digging through court records and understanding what I was really getting into. It was, it was on. I mean, it, <laughs> and I had to rewrite it so many times because the people I wrote about, you know, they hacked into my computer and deleted my work. And um, threatened my family, um, loosened the lug nuts on our tires, and um, it, it's just, it's not, it's not, for a first-time author, it's not the kind of story you think you're going to get for your first book, you know? It's, it's something that, I mean, I should have written a children's book as my first book. <laughs> <laughs> not this this is huge <laughs> so i guess it was waiting for me to tell i don't know <laughs> but it sounds like even with the, I'm, I'm thinking to my book is a collection of short stories and as far as i know no one has threatened me um uh, maybe maybe they've cursed me out silently i don't know but it sounds like obviously a lot of obstacles along the way i mean you're getting it deleted you're you know having <laughs> having your car basically vandalized in a way that could potentially be dangerous. Was there ever a point where you're like, maybe I should stop writing this book or were you like, I've started this. I, I need to tell this story. Yeah. Um, 
so the last time, every time it happened, so, you know, something would happen, work was deleted, or if I was told you better stop or the lug nuts, I mean, it was all of them. Um, I would turn to my family and I'd say, I'm not going to do it anymore. And they'd say, oh, yes, you are, because these people <laughs> need to be stopped. And I worked as a private investigator before. Well, I worked with them. I wasn't a licensed private investigator. So everything I did, I did at my own, um, you know, my own discretion. Um, but I worked with some of the some of the best people and I learned techniques. I learned things. And so I guess in a way that training and, and that experience that I got from them is what kept me afloat in knowing how to proceed with what I was doing. And I guess maybe I learned that I had guts. I mean, <laughs> I learned it, but, um, the last and final time that my work was deleted, that's when I said, this is my story and I'm going to protect it. And I did, there were signs, there were things that were sticking out to me that, you know, showed me that, that I was the one to write this because it kept coming back to me. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from the story, you know, it <laughs> yeah. just, it just kept coming back to me. People, strangers, uh, family, friends, they would tell me you, you got to keep going because what you're exposing, these people need to be exposed and they have to be stopped. You mentioned that you had some background uh, with with these private investigators, so I imagine you probably incorporated that while you were while you were researching, and maybe had to do a little undercover work going on. And what what I'm picturing this is an extremely obscure reference, but I was a big fan of the game L.A. Noir, which came out. I don't know, 12 years ago now, something like that. And you play a 1940s era detective. And there's a few times we are supposed to be undercover uh, tailing someone. And half of that is you're either following them from like a safe distance. You're like, I, I can't be, you know, I can't be too close or else they'll see me. Or you're sitting in the same diner with them with a newspaper. And I'm like, does that work in real life where you can just hold up a newspaper and you're completely inconspicuous? I feel like today, maybe that would make you more obvious because I don't see a lot of people reading newspapers. But what are some of the the sort of like undercover work that you had to do? <laughs> well, I wasn't sitting there with a newspaper, but I was parked <laughs> outside their homes taking pictures of people that they were with claiming they didn't they didn't know them. <laughs> I was doing things I probably shouldn't have been doing, but because it's family, I'd do it again. You know, <laughs> what's so important to me is, is to make it clear that Bob's not the only one that should be sitting behind bars. But yes, I was sitting outside some homes taking pictures and I was at a distance one time when one of them turned just to kind of look in the direction where my car was I threw my I threw the top half of my body over in the passenger seat I couldn't <laughs> get over there quick enough <laughs> um I followed him in stores and kept a distance I mean I did I did everything I could to try to get information the newspaper thing might have worked if I had one I didn't think about getting one at the time but <laughs> I w wouldn't have been beneath me to try it, you know? <laughs> yes. We got to send you I, to a 1940s era cafe, I guess, for a newspaper. <laughs> absolutely. I'd get a rental car 
if I'd go out of town, I'd get a rental car because I didn't want him to recognize the tags or the vehicle. I'd do anything. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I need to be in that North 1940s film, that, that show. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, getting all of this information, plus all of the other research you're doing, I think even if you're not writing nonfiction, like any any writer needs to keep their story together and keep all of that information going. So did you have, like, I'm, I'm picturing like a, you know, you have the, the big board with like the red yarn attaching everyone together. I know that's the old stereotype cliche of trying to, to solve something, but how did you keep track of all this research? I mean, it's over a decade's worth of research. I know. I know it is. So I bought all this poster board. People would come into my house. They'd probably think something was wrong with me. <laughs> I have all this poster board up on the walls. And I was usually writing in the um, dining room because I wanted to be in the center where everybody else was, you know. And um, I did most of my writing at night. So I would take my notes and I would put them up on the poster board in the house all around. And if somebody would come over, my family would say, no, we get, you got to clean up. You, we need to put this up. We can't have people coming in here and looking at all this stuff. <laughs> but I, I had the stuff that I, I had found that I'd uncovered that they had hidden. And then I was also researching what these people were doing today. So I had a past tense board and I had a presence board. I had what they did and I had what they're doing now. I, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't have yarn, but I mean, it. yeah, my house was, I used it. I'm, I I know that sounds crazy, but if you've read the book, that's how I was able to get all the facts into it on what everybody was doing. And my index is 23 pages long. Um, so everything I had, I put in the back. It's amazing. Yeah, I think there's something to, like, something about, like, the physical nature of things like that. Like, I know... I have used all kinds of digital tools, but for whatever reason, like it just hits differently. If I'm writing something down or if I'm like physically crossing something off a list, I love it. So I, I'm a big supporter of that. Even if there's no red yarn, I'm still a big supporter. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. So I was using my, uh, my laptop to keep all this information. <laughs> but once, once my work was deleted, um, I said, no, I've got to move it outside and I've got to make it where I can do it and see it and visually put it up. And so, so that's what I did. It sounds crazy. You know, now that I think about it, I had all, I had, I had orange and I had yellow and I had a lot of white poster board up <laughs> and I was using, it was crazy, but I was so afraid that I was, my work was going to be deleted in all this, all these records. And so I don't know, I made it work. Isn't that wild? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is very wild. I and I. I am sure everyone listening has had at some point something deleted, not not by malicious intent, but you know, yeah. software craps out or something like that. I know Green Day when they were working on uh, what would become American Idiot, they had the entire record done basically, and then someone stole the masters. So instead of re-recording that, they were like, no, nah, we're just going to come up with a whole new album. And it just happened to be 
one of the greatest selling albums of the 2000s and it became a broadway play it won a grammy for best rock album uh still still lots of bangers on it to this day i'm sure they're making i don't know millions from it still 20 years later and it all came from from something being deleted so as you were rewriting this multiple times was it pretty much identical to what you had been writing or or did you like as you were kind of getting back into it be like, actually, I can take this this direction. So this is crazy. Yeah, I changed my direction a few times. Um, and I, I kind of remembered what I had wrote. Not everything, but the gist of it. And each time I wrote it, it was actually it was better. I was kind of thinking, well, yeah, they did it. But maybe there's a little divine intervention going on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, each time I had to rewrite it, I... I kind of twisted it in a different direction and maybe it was, maybe it was a good thing that it was deleted, you know? Um, Cause thinking back on it now, I think, I think what I have now compared to what I had then is more detailed and more exciting. <laughs> That's good. It's better than the alternative. Exactly. <laughs> and I survived. I survived. Yes. Yes. That's also also a very key element. I live to tell about it. Yeah, exactly. I live <laughs> to tell about it. <laughs> now you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but a question I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. So are any of the other individuals, the non-Bob individuals in your book, are they being charged with anything? Not today. Um, so when all this went down, okay, let me back up here. Um, in the eighties, Bob got in trouble with a DPS trooper who threatened to have him killed on the stand if he didn't lie for him. And he was involved in the cattle wrestling with Bob during the eighties. He was charged with tampering with a witness. That's a felony charge. Um, the conversation that I put in my book was recorded between the DPS trooper and Bob's father, and it was admitted into court. And so that's, um, that's where that tampering with a witness charge came up with, came up at. Um, those charges, they were felony, but the judge reduced the sentencing to a misdemeanor. He adjudicated it. He's out today causing problems and he's not, He's not facing any charges for anything because he has bullied people. People are afraid to go up against him. Now, fast forward, when Bob met his wife, Tammy, um, he met her when he was incarcerated, when he was in prison, because he'd gotten in trouble for, you know, all the wrestling. And then he escaped jail. And I mean, he's just a big mess. But anyhow, um, so he met his wife, Tammy. Well, the two of them got into the wrestling and she was laundering money he was he was stealing the cattle um and while he was doing that she was overseeing the finances the financial part of it so um when she turned herself in because when everything went down he went on the run and then she turned herself in and she was charged with a third degree felony and then uh, theft of livestock and then she had other federal and state charges. Now, I have to be careful how I say it. My attorney is why <laughs> he's going to, they are going to hear everything I say. And I don't want to say this the wrong way. 
So she did serve a few days. She was supposed to serve years. She got out of it. So her charges that she had then, they've just kind of, they're not there. So she's not she's not uh, serving any charge. They've not been charged with anything. She or the other individuals who were involved in the cattle rustling um, at the time. Bob's the only one that is, you know, serving time for any for all of this. And of course, the the four uh, fugitives from the Grayson County Five that were along, you know with Bob there, of course. But the the individuals that I exposed, it was before the Grayson County Five. And those are the ones that I'm referring to. So to answer your question, no, nobody, (laughs) no. (laughs) Well, we'll jump a little bit from the contents of the book to the process of getting the book published. Because we've, we've said it, this book took 12 years. It's 12 years in the making. What was something that surprised you about the publishing side of things? So actually, I thought that agents, by the way, the literary agents were awesome with me. Um, They were very positive. I kept reaching out to them and asking them if, you know how you send your query letters, you know, um, sending all the information, seeing if they would be interested in wanting to, to take me on as a client. And a majority of them would respond saying... It's not, it's not my type of story because it's a regional story. I don't know how to, I don't know what direction to go with it, but they encouraged me to keep going because they said that I would find the right place for it in the literary world. So I was surprised at how hard it was trying to find a literary agent. And once I realized I think I can do this on my own. And then I decided to self-publish. And when I self-published, that's when it was a whole new world to me. And it was awesome because I I always thought if a literary agent doesn't take it on, it's not going to happen. And that's not true. Um, It was a lot of work, a lot of dedication. I mean, I had to, I had to get in there. It was, it was worse than... <laughs> It was worse than writing it, but it was worth it. It was worth it to me. Yeah, yeah I think that's something that many authors who have been here, even even ones who have had traditional publishers, they have all said like, "Oh, the writing part was a piece of cake. Like that was that was so simple. It's all the the ancillary parts to it that I think are are very surprising." And I know I was certainly the same way. Just all the little bits and pieces that go in and I was like can I just write the story and everyone else handles this other stuff and no 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 that is not a recipe for success that's what I thought would happen when I got into this I honestly believe that and um, I went into this and I had hired a editor who is now a dear friend of mine and he's there he's from Austin um John T Lovely. Davis I'm gonna say his name he's and he's a he's a good friend so he's been with me from the beginning and I didn't realize most authors, once you write your your story and you, you know, you rewrite it, you go through all of that, then you try to reach out and then you try to find an editor. And then they decide whether they want to take your project on. Everything for me was so different 
because when I first started out, I contacted John and I said, hey, this is what I got. And he took it on. And then once he did, then we, we got it to where it needed to be. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to publish this the traditional way. And it didn't happen. But it didn't stop me. It just, man, there's so much to learn about the publishing, writing and publishing. But it's worth it. You know, it's uh, at times I'd want to pull my hair out. If it wasn't because somebody was coming after us, it was because I was trying to get <laughs> trying to get the book out there. You know, um, marketing. It's there's so many parts to it. There's so many parts to being an author. If I'd have known it before I started, I don't know if I would have done it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of a, a lot of the marketing side of things seems like it comes a little bit more of a surprise, and I think that's it's probably true of any business or b- brand building in general. It's just that you really don't realize how much goes into it until you're you're in it and then it's just like oh okay i feel like i'm at the bottom of a dunk tank and the seat every time i try to get on it is just knocking me back down but it's also still it's kind of fun it's kind of fun it's awesome because you know like my work and your work our work is out there you know we didn't let anybody get in our way we just said hey i'm gonna put this out there we did and that's amazing. That's something yes. to be proud of. Yeah. Yes. And holding a book that you wrote in your hands, it's like, it's, I imagine it's what holding a child is like. Uh, but maybe, yeah. maybe more <laughs> propensity for paper cuts. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And speaking of that might segue very nicely into our top three. So you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And for you, what are your top three books? Okay. I have three, <laughs> but one of them has actually been moved to the very front. It wasn't, I mean, I guess it should be. The Bible has become my first favorite <laughs> with everything that I've been through over the past 12 years. I grab it. <laughs> but my third, my, my, aside from that one, <laughs> to say that I've got family members are going to say, yeah, that better be your first. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love the book. Um, in Cold Blood. Have you read it? I have not. I have not. It's, it's on my, tr- my very long reading list. <laughs> so my editor told me, he said, um, you need to read it and see his style. And he wanted me to read several different true crime books. He recommended several. And then he said, then you need to kind of pick your style. And I love the way that this book is written because it it goes into detail and it explains everything to a T of what happened. So if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's a good one. Um, Another one that I love is 40 Autumns. It's by Nina Wil- Wilner. I don't know if you've heard of her, but it's it's an awesome book. Um, and then the other one is at Rocks by Joe Perry. Everybody knows Joe Perry, right? Yes. <laughs> Those are my top three. <laughs> lovely, lovely. And if people want to perhaps get your book in their top three and learn more about you and this wild story, where can they find you? Well, you can actually go anywhere online. You can type in the title, The Notorious Texas Swindler, on any search engine, and I'm there. You can buy my book anywhere. It's not in a brick-and-mortar store yet, but it's in 
It's on all their online stores. And then you can also check out my website. It's pepperannauthor.com. And I have the coolest website. I've been told this by so many people. I have started a blog. Actually, my assistant, Laura, has started it. And I have been writing all kinds of cool stuff. I've been writing conversations that I've had with Bob. And uh, some funny things and then posting a little bit about true crime. And um, it's got my books on there and it has the links to all my um, social media sites. So lovely. So a nice one-stop shop. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Yeah. I like it as any good website should be. Yes. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And something else we were going to start doing, um, we were going to start offering to other people, other authors, if they're interested, they can go on the website. I don't think it's up yet, but we were going to offer to start reading and reviewing other authors' books um, too. So, you know, you know, my book won't be the only one on there. There'll be other recommendations. So, yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. That's, ah, I love it. I love it. That was one of my favorite things that I, a book event I did. Someone else came who was an author and she was just like, oh yeah, I love going to other, other book signings and like just chatting and, about writing. And I'm like, oh, I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. We all, it's, it, we all can talk about all the things we've been through. Yeah. Some of us a little more than others, but hey, <laughs> yeah, it's all fun. <laughs> yes. So much. Well, Pepper Ann, thank you so much. This was so much fun. And just a, it is just such a fascinating story, and I encourage people to read it. The Notorious Texas Swindler. Thank you. I had fun. Thank you so much for having me on the show. <laughs> of course. And we got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? No, I did not. He just needed a little space. Get after <laughs> it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Hey gang, Joey here. I mean, who else would be here? I'm the only one who hosts this show, but I want to tell you about another show, Fire Breathing Kittens, an actual play, one-shot podcast that plays various tabletop role-playing games with a season-long plot. Because there's a beginning and an end to each week's story, you can start at any episode. You don't have to go way back to episode one. Just hop in wherever you want. Every week has a different combination of four from the same rotating cast group of people. Join fire-breathing kittens as they solve detective mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast.